Hi, and welcome to Chats Over Coffee with my yoga teacher. I am the yoga teacher part of this podcast, and I have a good long chat with my friend and fellow yogi and comedian, Peter Brush, and then we snip it down to something that's more interesting for you. <laughs> Here's the podcast. That's very confusing though, isn't it, when people are twins? This is one thing I thought about twins, right? Is okay. um, as I shoehorn a bit of material that I haven't been able to do. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Is it you know when twins when you're in labour and you have twins, it takes like a long time for one to come out, doesn't it? Yeah. As you would do in a regular labour, mm-hmm. right? But then the second twin comes out because I looked this up. It's like mm. on average about fifteen minutes, half an hour. The next twin comes out. So the first. The first baby takes ages to come out, hours. Right. right? So you go into labor, that labor will be working for both children that are inside of you. No, but you're going to ruin the joke. Oh, I'm so sorry. Continue. I shut up. So so it takes like, I don't know, say 15 hours for the first one to come out. Yeah. And then the second one takes 15 minutes, half an hour. Yeah. It's the second one thinking, like, what's the first one doing? Like, as if they're watching, like, someone... (laughs) Get, try to get a jar open for ages. Like... <laughs> what you do? It's just like this. Just, just hand it over. I'll, if it was down to me, we would have both been out within an hour. You know? I do actually quite like that. <laughs> I mean, you nearly ruined it. But... <laughs> Very sorry. <laughs> have you got a drink? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I made it at three though, so it's lukewarm now. Oh. Well, it's not bad. It's it's kind of perfect, but I got to drink it quickly. I actually, I yeah. think that the design of this might be an incredibly tedious thing to say, but I think the design of teacups needs to change because Why? I feel like you can drink the first third of a cup of tea is great, but then it doesn't keep warm enough for you to leisurely enjoy the rest of the cup. I don't think the amount of times I have like the last third of a cup of tea is just oh, I better drink it. But mm. I would appreciate it if it was. And I'm sure I went to someone's house once where they had a mug that was like egg shaped, sort of. So it, it kind of cupped the top, and I think it kept the heat in more. Oh. And I think, why are they not widespread? If that's yeah. you know, if they work, then they they should be. Everyone should have them. Yeah, because it's kind of the other way around. Like I've got this teacup here, and my bottom is slightly smaller than the top. Mm. So it's actually the other way around. And I only mentioned tea because I wanted to tell you I have passion fruit and mango green tea. Don't get on with green tea as much. Uh, I make myself drink green tea occasionally when I was like brainwashed by the uh, propaganda that's going to like cure you of everything. It'll make you you beautiful. Oh, I don't need that. (laughs) Seven cups of green tea will get rid of all your wrinkles. (laughs) Will it? That's what I read when I was like in my teens. Right. <laughs> it said if you drink seven cups of green tea, it noticeably reduced wrinkles in whatever age group or whatever. And I was like, oh, that's great. Drinking green tea then. Start while you're young. <laughs> I think it must just be a marketing ploy because green tea is not very nice. So they have to make it tell you that it... It does have a lot of antioxidants in it, more than normal tea, because it's the younger leaves on the tea plant. So it's got more antioxidants or something. But rather that. You like you're saying if they just boost that a little bit more in the marketing because it doesn't taste the most wonderful. <laughs> mm, nutritious sawdust. But I'm completely used to it now. Like <laughs> I think it is a what is it an acquired taste? 
They did lots of variants of it. I guess it could be like anything, like you get some really crappy versions of it, I suppose. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would never get any Twining's green tea. That tastes horrendous. Um, most most brands of green tea, like they're just store brands, would taste horrible. If you don't brew it properly, it'll come out really bitter. You'd have to brew it for, like, start really short. Start for, like, one minute and and then go up from there until it's get used to it. There's loads of little tricks to get yourself used to green tea. Tiny little bit of honey, like half a teaspoon or a teaspoon honey. That's a good way to get used to it, but then you get addicted to honey. Honey's good for you, but it's really bad for your teeth <laughs> to be drinking honey. <laughs> My dentist is always telling me off. Unlike your dentist, which apparently loves you. <laughs> yeah, it was a squat yesterday, wasn't I? It was great. I was really worried that they just like tell me off when I got there. Just be like, where have you been for 15 years? Or whatever it was. <laughs> It's really longer than that. I think it's 2000. I think it's 2003. Well, it's really good that they said your teeth are all right. You know, a little bit of plaque or whatever is complete. Or even people that go every year or whatever have little cleanings and stuff. That's very normal. Yeah, it's a relief. That's fantastic. I, I was so fortunate, really. I thought it was going to be like, right, some of these have got to come out. That's probably the one thing that I worry about a little bit with regards to my health. Everything else I can kind of like assess a little bit and be like, nah, it's okay. You know, oh, it's a bit sore, I'll rest it or something like that. I twisted my knee the other day climbing over the couch and it was like, ow. <laughs> and it hurt for like two days. <laughs> but I know it's all right. I know how I did it, you know, all that. But my teeth, oh, my teeth are so bad. They're always bad. I mean, honestly, I think I have a feeling in every single tooth. Well, you know the problem with you. What? So you can't, you can't do yoga for your teeth. That's what it is. That's why everything else is fine. But you can't do yoga for your teeth. So. Yoga for your teeth is that when you when you floss really well. With- yeah. <laughs> Can, oh, I can't think of anything funny. I, I'm sorry. I really feel off today. I, oh, it's okay. I'm usually hilarious. <laughs> not, not, I, I don't know what's going on. It'll be half an hour in it somehow. <laughs> We should talk about the thing, quickly move on to the actual substance of something that'll be on. <laughs> so, this week we've been covering the fourth Niyama, which is Svadhyaya. So, um, Svadhyaya means self-study. And I thought this one was going to be a really quite a good one for us because obviously we talk a lot about meditation and stuff. And a lot of the time, the very first definition that you'll hear for, for self-study is kind of capital S for self meaning like your Ataman, your your consciousness, your soul, your you, 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 however you want to see that. But to be honest, I mean, personally, I think that it's okay to interpret that in any way you like, and I think it's healthy to do so. So like, you can study yourself, sure. I think that's really important. I think it's important to know what pushes your buttons, what annoys you. If you're a hangry person, don't let yourself get hangry. Just don't get hungry. Just take a snack and then you'll never be hangry. <laughs> you know, just like kind of learning the little triggers that set you off and then setting up those little, I like to call them sentries, you know, little little guys in your mind. And then when, when one of your triggers hits, a little red flag flops up and goes, Ding! <laughs> you're going to get angry. And then it's like, oh, I'm going to get angry. But I know that. So what can I do about it? <laughs> you know, just kind of like being more aware of yourself. And that's obviously more mental, maybe emotional, that kind of thing. And then there's things like, do you know eating cheese makes you feel bad? And so you stop eating cheese or something like that, you know, something, whatever it is that, you know, you start to learn about your body. I think that's really good too. And I love it when we come to do yoga and like in the beginning of your practice, you find that like 
you are surprised. Uh, quite regularly, when classes were a little bit more two-way, because I do realize everyone's muted now, but when we were in person, I would get very regularly, especially for classes like corporate classes, where you would get people who had never done yoga before and just wanted to get away from the desk <laughs> and have a free class. <laughs> you know, they would come and you'd say like, oh, let's try this. And then you're like, right, let's do this on the other side. And you'd hear audible, uh, and it's like, Ah, you didn't realize that that side is a lot different than the other side, isn't it? <laughs> and they're like, oh my gosh, this is so much harder on this side, or, or I'm not nearly as flexible on this side, what's going on? And it's like, well, that's good, that's you discovering and learning physically about your own body, which I think is great. So I would say that Svadhyaya comes back to all types of learning about yourself. And a little part of me does think that it also includes you're studying so like what you actually learn so not just learning about yourself but self-study as in having coming back to discipline your tapas having a little bit of self-discipline to learn so there's so many studies that say if you learn like learn something quite maybe quite difficult if you learn a new language as you get older or you learn a new technique or you really practice something that's brand new to you it's really good for your brain like your brain needs that kind of stimulation and exercise. And I think that's another kind of interpretation of self-study is to make sure that you are continuously trying to learn. Uh, I think I covered it. <laughs> All right. See you later then. <laughs> right, <okay>, <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? What do you think about all that? Um, well, actually, when I knew this was the topic of discussion was, I thought it was going to be really hard to talk about. Because I don't know, I think I've always been pretty good at this one as well, in some ways. Yeah, you're always consciously watching yourself and what, what's going on. So yeah, I think, that's, always... well, I think that's paranoia, though, mm. <laughs> isn't it? Like, Yeah, I mean, any, any behavior can become obsessive or negative, even something you think is good. I mean, just something as simple as washing your hands can get bad if you wash mm. your hands too much. Like, any behavior that originally started from a good place could become... Uh, bad in a sense if you if you're not careful so i think i do too much of it really <laughs> <laughs> you know yourself too well <laughs> do you ever i don't know if um, i remember once i read um a book called story by robert mckee which is a book about screenwriting and mm. there was a line in it where he's talking about humphrey bogart's character in casablanca and says that humphrey bogart's character in casablanca was always going to do what he did at the end of the film because it's absolutely consistent with his character. Have you seen Casablanca? Yes, I have. Yes. So at the end, he could have taken the plane tickets, couldn't he? And he could have flown off with um, Ingrid Bergman. But mm. he doesn't. He gives it to the bloke that she's married to that is his like rival lover mm. and because it's for the greater good and because he actually is like a patriot or, you know, or that they've had their time and it's uh, all that stuff. Mm. You know, you don't really know he's going to do that till the end, but it's actually completely consistent with the character that he is. So, yeah. So he's saying in the book that we know Rick in Casablanca much better than we can ever know ourselves because he's a a character, a two dimensional character in a plot that is mm. consistent, and always going to do what he's going to do, whereas we can never fully know ourselves. So, mm. other people have impressions of you that are more two dimensional than your impressions of yourself because they'll see you in you know, depending on when they met you yeah but they'll always have a an idea of you that is not the same as your changing idea of yourself and so yeah. i don't know whether that ties into it or not. because you know it's sometimes difficult when you go back 
to meet people that you knew when you were younger that think of you as being something that you were Um, then and they'll still see you kind of as that like my nan's still calling me little pete yeah but (laughs) you know know, it's just gonna always see me like that so well i do think like there's two things to that so like with regards to people thinking of you differently after you've not seen them for a while i would say if you've not talked to someone properly or known someone properly within the last five years they are probably not the same person because people change quite quite considerably and and sure they're they're literally the same person and for the most part you'll have the same memories and maybe chat about things like that but there may be some real fundamental changes that have happened in those five years some life-changing changes and so in that way you have to kind of re-get to know them and also we we have grown up in a society that likes things to have labels I think it's a little bit of like a coping or safety mechanism in our brains. So it's not necessarily that we're trying to be mean or put people into a little box, but it's a way of understanding. It's a way of grasping something that's very complex. So when you know someone, you might know them as something like, okay, oh, she's my yoga teacher, but I'm also a daughter. I'm a wife. There's so many sides to me. I'm I'm probably kind of mean to some people. I've definitely lost my temper. Like there are so many sides to knowing someone that you couldn't really know them unless you get very very close to them. Like maybe your your partner would or whatever. But to some extent, I don't feel that that's necessarily a bad thing because, like I said, it's a way of of our brains comprehending someone who is obviously going to be very complex. The problem is is when you take that too far. Like if you start to judge someone based on only what you know when you can't possibly know everything about them. So yeah, I I do agree that no one's going to know you the way you know you because you've been there for your whole journey, haven't you? How well do you know yourself, though, sometimes? Well, I think that probably people don't know themselves very well. I think the average person isn't trying to understand themselves. You know, like I said, in so I try not to judge, and and I would hope that I'm kind of good at this because usually when you judge someone it makes you feel bad more than it makes them feel bad i mean they probably don't even know you're doing it so (laughs) especially if you're doing something so like we've talked about this before in terms of like being up in front of people so if someone leaves my class before or during shavasana that's something that does bother me but i hope that i don't take it too personally because i do understand that if you're lying in shavasana and you are desperate for the toilet <laughs> in any way please just go because <laughs> no one's going to give you a pat on the back for getting a bladder infection because you held your weight for too long <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, just go. a war injury for being polite <laughs> <laughs> exactly i mean i'm pretty sure kepler died because he held his weight for too long like it's not no you're not in presence of royalty you're definitely okay to just go and take a piss so a part of me likes to always give people the benefit of the doubt but i do realize and i know from my experience that a lot of people find it uncomfortable they lay down they start to talk about relaxing and the first thing they want to do is jump up it's nothing to do with needing the loo <laughs> it is it is a mental block and i don't know what caused that it could be that they've had three cups of coffee right before they came to yoga. Bad idea, but okay. <laughs> I'm not saying that, that that's necessarily also something that's wrong with them. It's not necessarily wrong. But I would say if you come to a class and the worst thing that you, that you don't like about the class or the thing that you hate the most is Shavasana, when we come to the end to relax, I would encourage you to sit through one, stay, and ask yourself why. And maybe you have a very good reason 
And there's a million reasons out there why that would be a very good reason to hate it. I'm not saying that that's right or wrong because it doesn't matter. It's different for everyone. But you need to know why. And the same the other way. If Shavasana is the only reason you come to class and you absolutely love it and you're just literally there just to practice your Shavasana at the end and that's the only reason you want to come to yoga, which we've all been there, (laughs) maybe ask yourself why as well. Is that because you're overworking and you need more rest? What is the reasoning behind these like strong desires or thoughts or things that you're inclined towards? And that's a good way to start just to better understand yourself. And then like you're saying, how can we always understand ourselves if we're always changing? Because everything that you've experienced changes you. But that's the thing, like, because when someone says that someone is, that you're like a thing, they've got a fixed, there's a fixed point where they're saying that you are like, to ourselves, we're not Mm. fixed points because the self isn't a thing. It's a, it's a process. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, someone knows you from five years ago, they've got a fixed ideal which is maybe more two-dimensional of what you... We're based in reality, of course, mm. like of what you what you are. But it's not what you are today or t- tomorrow, perhaps. As I say, I know now that I'm just like... Things that I did in the past, it is mm. a completely different person. Mm. There's things that I get reminded that I did, and I feel like I could never have been like that, surely. But mm. not bad things. Like, I'm not like a reformed <laughs> criminal or anything. But... Uh, <laughs> It's okay if you are. I can't believe I used to stick up all those banks. (laughs) I don't know how I did that, putting a gun in people's faces. (laughs) (laughs) I was much more confident in my youth. It's quite the opposite, actually. But um, I feel like it's an insult if someone says to me, oh, you haven't changed, like, if they haven't seen me for a long time. I get really angry about hearing stuff like that. Yeah, but do you not think usually people say that when they mean you still look the same? (laughs) Well, I hope they mean that. Oh, you've not changed a bit. It's like the last time you told me I was fourteen. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I don't. I don't mind that. I mean, yeah, it's all going to fall in upon itself one day. <laughs> it's little things you just notice, like photos from ten years ago. You think, oh, I'm a bit. I'm quite rosy cheeked, actually, compared to. <laughs> Honestly, I was just looking at pictures yesterday of our trip to Hawaii, which was in 2013. But I was like, oh, do do I look younger there? I think I do. <laughs> <laughs> Like you're saying, oh, I look quite rosy cheeked. <laughs> I mean, we probably both still look a bit younger than we are. But I always say, if people say, oh, you look good for your age, I always say, it doesn't mean you're going to live longer, does it? No, <laughs> no that's <laughs> <So>. true. <laughs> you did say something that I kind of agree with that I almost sort of chipped in on, where you said, mm. like, you know how people were, and in the way that our minds work is that we're kind of explainers, aren't we, I think. So I think sometimes when someone sees you and they haven't seen you for a long time, it's I don't know if comforting is the right word, but I think the reaction of somebody would often be to seek comfort in the fact that you are the same sometimes because then they've explained the, you're like, oh yeah, he's, he's what he always was and that's, and that's, and I feel comfortable and at ease with the situation because you're assessing it and going, right, no problems here, not a threat, basically. Yeah, 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 definitely. So, So when someone hasn't seen me for 12 years and just, and then if I say something remotely similar or I give off something remotely similar to, 12 years ago they can be like ah there we go don't have to worry about that that fits into the little you know the, the blocks that you, when but, you're a kid yeah. you put into the holes you're like oh yeah that's the, that's the peter shaped hole yeah I, exactly yeah i can <laughs> compartmentalize that you know yeah and i think that's kind of what's going on so i did try not mm. to be as offended when people say you're still the same as you were when you were mm. you know 12 I'm like yeah exactly i'm exactly the same 
my favorite TV show is still Keenan and Kel. <laughs> Whatever. So, yep. I know that's a pretty niche reference, but it's the quickest thing I've come up with at the top of my head. <laughs> Did you not have Nickelodeon as a kid? <laughs> uh, no, we didn't have TV. Oh, okay. Sorry. We had a TV, but we didn't pay for TV. So okay. Nickelodeon was only a paid for channel. You had to pay for you got three channels if you didn't pay. You got like ABC and something else. and You got like two or three channels with your little thing on top of the TV that you would move back and forth until it stopped being so fuzzy. Yeah. And then... <laughs> and that was about no, it. No, you and... are older than you look. <laughs> <laughs> and we had dirt floors and long yeah. dresses. No. <laughs> <laughs> you really are funny. Oh, thank you. No, that's good. I mean, I'm funny as well, aren't I? But you have to say that. Yeah, you have to agree. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm <laughs> nodding, sorry. I'm sorry, no, people fine. listening. <laughs> but did you always know you were funny? Or when did you find out you were funny? I found out I was funny. I've always been funny. But when did you know? Is there like a moment like uh, where you found out you could do <laughs> it? It's like when you become a nun or something. Do you get the calling? <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden I woke up, I had the calling. <laughs> I knew I was funny. I don't know. I feel like, you know, you can come out with some good corkers that really make people laugh. And that's great. But I find a lot of the time what counts as real genuine humor has to have a buildup. So like you have to have a past or something has to really make sense. Like I would I would never feel comfortable doing anything like a sort of stand up. And I would never have any material for that. Like that's yeah. not my kind of funny. My kind of funny is situational. So like responding to, responding to you saying what you said with long dresses and dirt floors. Like that's my kind of funny. And I set it up, you knock it down, you know. Like. Yeah, but like <laughs> yes, you did a very good setup. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I'm great at setting up nicely. When I was at school, like people didn't realize other people that were saying funny things, like in our friendship group, they did not realize how mm-hmm. much I set that up because I was always yeah. like it must be how like a lot of straight men work, you know, in stand up double acts where where you think Ernie Wise is not doing anything, but he's actually like integral to setting everything up. Yeah. That, that Eric Morgan did. And I do that so much at school, like... Well, you know, whatever boosts your ego. <laughs> yeah, well... I'm joking. <laughs> I can do the other stuff as well, but I... Did you think you woke up one day and just thought, ah, oh, I am funny? Well, it's really difficult for me to remember. Sometimes I'll tell people I always knew, but sometimes I'm like, how could I have known? Because... Because people laugh? I didn't say a thing yeah. until I was about eight years old anyway. Like I was... <laughs> Yeah, okay. I, was so I wasn't shy. funny when I was a child, I don't think. I was a big, meanie, bossy boots when I was a kid, so. <laughs> which I'm sure all of my very young friends would attest to. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know, though, because my opinion is that you don't. I think you've got the ability to be funny or not. I don't think you can learn it. Mm. So, whether it's not really brought out of you until you're a little bit older, I guess, like maybe you observe stuff and you recognize what can be funny when you're. You young rather than yeah. I hope this is going to link into self to I think it does kind of link into the knee arm a little bit yeah I think it does because I think that you kind of like you're saying you can learn like you can learn to pick up things and to train your brain just like you can train your brain in any other way you can yeah. train your brain to to look for things that would be funny but I think that on a personal stance like if you're not thinking oh I want to be a, a comedian or I want to be something like that if you're not thinking down that path, then usually the people that are funny are funny because, like, it, it does something. So, like, for me, I find that it, it breaks tension 
Because a lot of the time when you're with, a, especially a group of people, if there's something going on, there's everyone's always so serious all the time. And it's like, don't take yourself so seriously, all right? Just, just chill out. <laughs> and a great way to make people relax is to make them laugh. So if you can slip in something in the moment that fits, that genuinely makes people laugh, not a forced kind of pity laugh, <laughs> I mean a real laugh, <laughs> then that's great. Like, I think that's, that's a great way to just kind of release some tension. And I definitely started that more and more in my classes because a lot of the classes that I taught when I first started teaching were in an area where no one had ever practiced yoga before, ever. Like, this was not... This was, you know, it was only about six years ago. It was five and a half years ago. So it's not, I'm not talking youngs ago, but it must have just been, there was just no studios. There wasn't a big city. Like yoga, is that is that where you worship the sun? Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> you know, people weren't really bothered. And I just think like when I started teaching it, the people who came were like, oh, what am I doing here? Do I want to do this? And then it was like, let's break this up a little bit. At least try and throw some humor in. I know like when we do our side stretch, I used to constantly say like, oh, how good's your deodorant today? And that would always get a few laughs. Don't know, that could have been a pity <laughs> laugh, but I would say that kind of regularly. <laughs> yeah, but you don't have to. I think in situations where you're not expected to be funny, sometimes you don't need to be quite as funny, if that makes sense. So yeah. you're a funny yoga teacher, but you don't go to yoga to have a laugh. Not unless you're going to laughing yoga. <laughs> Is that a thing? Have you not heard of laughing yoga? No. You should look it up. Okay. It's great. It's so funny. It's really weird. People just basically force themselves to start laughing, and then there's a group of people just laughing constantly. Okay. Wow. Well, <laughs> They've like, never seen any horrible. of my shows. <laughs> I remember one time there was a woman, and she did her hands like she was on a motorcycle, and then she kept going, ha, 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 <laughs> and then when she got her laugh going, she started running around the room like she was on a motorcycle going, <laughs> even just that by itself would be hilarious. That so. doesn't sound like yoga as much as it sounds like those primal scream things that like John Lennon used to go to. It's a bit to. like laughing therapy, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you, what I'm saying is I'm not saying that. I'm not, I'm not, you know. You're not saying to, that I'm not funny, but you're saying that any the slightest joke will come across is more funny definitely. when people aren't expecting it. Yes, yes. Yeah, Whereas absolutely. if it was like everything I say is supposed to be funny, and if it's not funny enough, there'll be people going, oh, that's not that good, is it? So yeah, yeah, of course. It's all to do with expectation levels and what people are coming up to, which is not yeah, to absolutely. downplay your abilities to be funny in a <laughs> yoga class at all. <laughs> no. I just think it's a great way to break some tension because people are nervous when they come into a class, especially if they're new to yoga and stuff. If you just kind of add the odd silly thing in, they're like, oh, I'm taking myself too seriously. Yeah. It's fine. It's just, I mean, I follow this one yogi, he's Brian Yogi or whatever. He's an American, but his his main tag, if you want, is it's just fucking yoga. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's just fucking yoga. I mean, <laughs> don't take yourself so seriously, you know. There's always a place and a time to be serious. And if you need like a bit more down the line of like yoga therapy and mindfulness and you will always be able to find those classes as well mm. and i sometimes get into that zone especially during like our vinyasas and stuff like that where we're really focusing but in general i'm i would think i'm a pretty chilled teacher so i'm not i'm not trying to get you into any sort of hypnagogic state or anything like that during a class i think <laughs> i use humor to create tension oh, great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> quite the opposite because only because I, I say the wrong thing a lot 
because mm-hmm. I don't want to make myself sound like I'm Larry David or something, but like I will, like for example, like about six, maybe a year ago now, we went to go and see these couple that have got two kids and one of them is like a five or six year old girl and she just had her first class photograph mm. right there come through. So they were showing us this and one of the other girls in the photograph had had a chipped tooth. So, oh. so they'd airbrushed a tooth onto her on the class photograph. Right. Oh. And I thought that was like genuinely I thought that was a disgraceful thing to do because like well mm. you like making six year olds think that they have to look perfect and not have like a missing tooth. It's just like Yeah, yeah, definitely you wanna have the tooth. You don't wanna airbrush it out. No Don't do that. I you want that a, broken tooth. It's this it's a disgrace that they would do that to some a kid so young. It's just like oh, here's a standard yeah. of, you know. So I said, oh, what next? You know, you're going to get next year's photograph and you're going to look at them thinking, wow, some of these kids have got great tits. <laughs> <laughs> and, and did you say that in front of a six-year-old? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not to, <laughs> well the kid was there, but I, I was saying it to the parents. I thought, well, yeah, she's but, not know. But, but was she there? <laughs> yeah, but out of earshot, you know. Like, yeah. I, think, I think. I can't remember now. Yeah. But anyway... <laughs> Nobody laughed at that, and it really? was just like, yeah, it was I just it's well funny. It was just silent for like thirty seconds, and then it was like someone said, like, "Well," and then, like, <laughs> and then it moves on, and I was like, "Oh." <laughs> Anything else you need to say about the? Because I don't know if it veered so much Self off study. the stuff. Yeah, no, I think we've covered it. Yeah, okay, I think that was good. You think? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would like to say that, I hope I emphasize this enough, but like, sometimes we bring up a topic like self-study, and then we get really kind of deep into it, like learning about yourself and how, you know, things like that. But again, if you're brand new to all this, you can always start small, you can always literally just go read a book that you would normally never read, watch a movie from a genre that you hate, unless it's horror, then don't watch those because they're crap. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't like horror films, so <laughs> I just thought I'd toss it in there. But you know what I mean? Like, that's the first step is just to kind of explore a little bit. I mean, a good way to think about it is, like, if you were a scientist and you were going to, like, learn about bird, a bird species, the first thing you would do is watch it. You would just watch. You wouldn't try to assume what the bird's going to do or try and dissect it before you've even learned anything about it. You just watch it. You just watch the bird. So that's, like, the first step. So you don't have to go too crazy with all this kind of stuff. The first step just to just watch yourself try and observe a little bit you know make notes write it down journaling loads of people journal i'm i don't journal i did when i was a teenager i think it can be a healthy thing to do you want to burn it after a year though don't you, you don't... <laughs> i know right yeah <laughs> but you know i think things like that can be quite healthy and i would always say though if you do want to do any sort of journaling um don't do it on a computer don't don't ever type things like that just write it on a notebook or something you want you want it to be physical not not in the ether. It's not. It's not as cathartic or cathartic. Whatever that word is. Cathartic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> I don't know if it's related, but I do most of my writing not on a computer. Yeah. Because I don't know if, if I feel like I'm more connected mm. to my thoughts when I'm doing that rather than I, I don't know using my hand movements to move a, a pen seems more connected than tapping. Like that's just one aspect of it, you know, because mm. there's there's other things like. Like how, you know, like you said, if every time, if when you get on your yoga mat, if anything surprises you about your body, there you go. You've learned something. That's self-study because your body is still you. (laughs) So, yeah. 
Okay, well, I'll salvage something, even if it's only 25 minutes. Oh, I think we've got loads more oh, than that. I feel like I've been dead off today. I don't know what... Apart from the six-year-old tits thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Hope you've enjoyed the show. Next week, talking about the final Niyama, which means surrender. If you haven't already, to make sure you don't miss it, press subscribe wherever you have found this, and then you won't miss any of the shows. I know that's a bit of a commitment, subscribing some of you might be scared of that maybe this is the push you need i don't know also we're both on social media if you don't follow us on there you're very welcome please do it and please do tell other people about the show we love other people that like it to find it and we can't do that without other people mentioning it to other people because we've told everyone we know so and if you've got any questions for either of us or if there's a topic that you'd like us to discuss on the show let us know our tags are in the show notes but if you look for peter brush or caleb mccormack on instagram or twitter you will find us Right, see you next time. Bye.